0: DJ and PK, 97.5 and 12.80, The Zone. It's Monday. It's the 9 o'clock hour. That means one thing. It's time to get out to the Sprint special guest line. They make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Jake Scott in for David James this morning. And joining us now, he is former BYU basketball coach Steve Cleveland. Coach, good morning. How are you?
1: Good morning. I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks.
0: Coach, uh, uh what, well, actually, let's start here. Where, what do you think about the uh, Orlando bubble idea that seems to be coming to fruition for the NBA?
1: I love the idea. <laughs> I love the idea of any thought that, that, that the NBA actually is going to be on TV again and we can actually watch it. Um, I guess, you know, it, it'll be an interesting thing. I, I know one thing, there's plenty of housing and, um, it's it's warm there in the summer, but they're going to be inside playing, so that shouldn't be an issue. But uh, I, I do like the idea. I think people are just starving for it. I think that financially, that the league itself is they're trying to protect the players and put themselves in a safe environment, and at the same time also allowing them to, you know, uh, financially to to be able to kind of meet meet the uh, projections there of, of what their salaries are. And there's just a lot of win wins for it. I can't think of anything that's real negative. There's not going to be any fan base there. It sounds like the testing piece is in place. They're going to be tested and then retested again. So I think they're covering every base that they have to cover, and I think our country is excited to to see some NBA basketball. I know I include myself in that group.
2: Yeah, amen. I agree with you 100%. I was thinking about what happened over – well, starting Friday – And then into the weekend, get your comments on both. We lost two Hall of Fame coaches, uh, Jerry Sloan and Eddie Sutton. Now, during your entire time at BYU, just up the road was Jerry Sloan, and I know you competed against Eddie Sutton when you were at BYU uh, at least a couple of times, I can recall. Uh, First, just give us your thoughts on Jerry Sloan and maybe any interaction that
1: you had. You know, uh, my interaction with Coach Sloan was – you know, we didn't, I mean, I think we I would, we'd consider ourselves friends because we had had some contacts and had short conversations, but I didn't really have any real life experiences. All my experiences with Jerry were watching either in the arena and watching his teams play and watching him. And I think as coaches, sometimes we kind of, uh, you know, we watch coaches and, and at every level, you know, I watch high school coaches. I watch junior college coaches, one coaches, just to see how they react and uh, kind of what their behavior and their demeanor is. And. It's just kind of how they, how they work and operate. And, you know, I, when I thought of when, when that happened, I think we all kind of fell a loss of, of someone that was one of the most passionate people that I had been around. And again, I'm talking about maybe three or four times where I was in his presence, chatting with him. And it, it wasn't any real in-depth conversations, but just, just being around him. I, I think somebody asked me this the other day. And I said, <clears throat> If if I had one word that I had to use to define coach, it would just be that he has a huge heart. And that can, can, you know, number one for his players, his relationships. You know, he was a tough competitor as a player. He was tough on guys. But his passion and his heart were the things that impressed me the most. I mean, he was so authentic, so real. He would share what he feels, where a lot of guys won't do that. And, you know, I'm sure people look at him today and he was a little bit old school. We need way more old school. Uh, I think that uh, it was such a refreshing thing. And he always made me feel important. I mean, in in settings, you know, it was always about, you know, Coach, how are you doing? What's going on? It was always about someone else and not about him. Was never been about him. And, uh, and, you know, some things I've learned about Coach, too, just – getting and watching, reading social media and reading different articles. And I didn't realize he was the first banner that went up with the Chicago Bulls. And yes. uh, what, a, what a great career he had there. I wasn't aware of that. And uh, just to think about the influence he's had in Chicago and in Utah, and considering the number of players in the NBA, young and old, that have reached out or were touched by him tells you a little bit about the influence impact he had in in the basketball world, but just in the world in general, about what a a great human being he was.
0: Coach Steve Cleveland with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, You mentioned observing what uh, Jerry Sloan coach and what type of coach he was. Why do you think his philosophies and system fit so well with his players, specifically John and Carl?
1: Well... I think one of the things you do as a coach, and I mean, in the NBA, that, your, your team can change, you know, pretty dramatically. But, you know, both of them were system-oriented guys. I mean, they they were capable. If they had been in another system, then I think they still would have flourished. But in that system, they they really did flourish, where everybody kind of knew their role. Everybody accepted their role. And and whether it were the intangibles that were established in in, you know, having – an incredible culture and who they were and, who, you know, everybody knew who the Utah Jazz were. You know, I mean, sometimes you see organizations and, you, say, you know, they never really seemed to kind of – you never knew exactly what team was going to show up. Well, with the Utah Jazz, they showed up night in and night out doing the same things, running the same action, and they got really good at it. And, and uh, you know, there wasn't – it wasn't a, a system where – you know it's an inordinate number of threes, or it was a system where we spread the floor or today where you know there's a lot of spacing and you know they had the way they played and they were in a position to win n b a championships and you know certainly i mean one thing you do you gain an appreciation sometimes you forget about how good Carl and John were and the impact that they had in this game i mean just statistically you go through it and go wow i did i didn't I didn't remember that you know. And then you go back and watch the clips and watch them play. And the execution, uh, you know, they just kept doing what they do, and they did it perfectly. And teams would break down, and they'd get in mismatch situations. And Carl is so versatile offensively. And, uh, you know, to be honest with you, John, uh, one of the greatest competitors that ever played in that league, you're looking for pound for pound what he did for a long time. And I think. I'm not sure, but I think it was five or six years in a row they won 60 games, uh, which a lot of those things just went unnoticed. And, and, and maybe us watching The Last Dance has uh, given us an opportunity to appreciate how good Utah really was and uh, how well coached they were. And uh, they had a system and they executed it. And it, was, it, it may have today may be looked at as kind of old school basketball. But uh, it worked, and, uh, and you had two Hall of Fame guys right there at the center of it uh, executing, and, and really, what a treat for the state of Utah and the people that have lived here all these years. Um, I didn't have that ex- experience to watch them that entire time, but I got here in 97. I got the Provo in 97, so I got the best of it the first two years, so it was really good. <clears throat>
2: I had an opportunity, Cleve, to be around you on a pretty much an intimate level during the time that I was working for the newspaper and covering your program as you were trying to build that thing, and it was such a grind to try to build it. The work was just enormous, you know, and eventually you got it done, but one of the things I can remember talking to you during a practice, uh, maybe it was after or before, and and it was uh, you had built the program a little bit and you were expected to get to the NCAs and it was right around january i think and you still had work to do and it was really taking a toll on you and i can remember you told me you went to california and did a quick speaking engagement and you said man just being away for a day i was able to breathe and the way you said it you said it so emphatically it's like i could almost put myself in your shoe and the point i'm making is that it was such a grind to try to win games there was all the stuff weighing on you and jerry sloan did that for 23 years could you speak to the consistency that he was able to show over such a long period of time and how difficult that must have been based on your own experience
1: yeah i think you know for every coach uh we all handle things differently and uh, everybody has different ways and different methods they do to deal with the stress and the grind. and and, uh, and it, it does take some internal toughness. And mentally, you have to be in a place where you know you have to be. And sometimes, even in our lives today, you know we get to places where we're not comfortable, and we're, we're just, you know, you know how do, what do we do today? Well, you know, I can remember back then for me. And then thinking about at the highest level, where transparency isn't as it was today, but still in the moment at that time where every eye is upon you, night in and night out, playing 82 games in preseason and postseason, uh, one thing, you you have to take care of yourself. And, uh, you know, there, there have been a number of coaches who have had to leave this business because physically, emotionally, mentally, they didn't do the things that helped them to take care of themselves to get through this grind. So at a very small level, you know, I mean, it didn't matter, to be honest with you. When I was a high school coach, I felt that same grind, the same importance, because that was the only world I knew when I was a junior college coach. It was the only world I knew. I dealt with that. I you know, I did things to kind of get, keep myself fresh. And, you know, and one of the things that I know coming to the Division One level where I hadn't had to really deal a lot, with the media, you know, and how to handle that, and how to, how to, you know, social media was just kind of a new thing. But there still was Internet, and there was those kinds of things. And just the really good counsel that I got to, to just avoid all of that. You know, you just, there's no reason for that, you to put that in your mind or your head. You've got to control the things you can control, and the rest of it you can't worry about. And I can imagine that the, that the NBA level today, especially in the world of social media, there's just so much stuff out there. We're human beings. I mean, coaches are human. They have families. They have emotions. And to keep those kinds of things in check, it, it can take a toll on you physically. And it can, it can, it can impact your health. All of those things to just grind on you. And so when I, when I think about him doing it for that many years and others like him doing it for that many years, the, it tells me this. Even though I didn't know him intimately, it, they, they have to find a balance. And, and sometimes coaches... Uh, couldn't find the balance, and, and sometimes it impacted their health. But it, it just seemed to me that there, at, at times you could see the anger, and you could feel it being around Jerry and how competitive he was. And and I think that uh, I I think a, a big part of it. And sometimes you need to let that steam off. Sometimes you just need to express yourself in ways that may not seem appropriate, but it's just healthy for you. And uh, But I think his relationship, just listening to all the players and the competitors that played against him, I mean, hundreds of people have chimed in on the, just the respect that they had for him. And I think especially at the, at the highest level, you just nod your head and go, yeah, I get it. I, I remember when, uh, as coach, I remember, I remember when I went and served a mission for the church and a guy came up to me and he said, When you go home, you'll see people who did and have shared a similar experience. You'll just look at them, nod your head, and go, yep, I get it. You don't have to say anything. And the same thing is true for coaching. I mean, that was really true. It's like, you don't know when you do something three years, 24-7, when you know someone else has gone through it, you just kind of smile, nod your head, I get it. And that's the same thing with coaches. It's kind of like, there's such a respect we all kind of gone through the same things maybe not with the same intensity at every every program but we you, you don't really need to talk about it as a coach you just go i get it i know what you're talking about from you know off the court things with players to on the court to families to aau coaches to the media all the things that you know are part of that experience you learn how to maintain and control and keep things in place and in check so that you can keep your sanity and, and be the most positive influence you can and maintaining a, a culture that like coach did in the jazz. I mean, they, if you were going to look at that team, you say they're disciplined that, that, you know, that's a word sometimes we, we, we throw around loosely, but they were disciplined. They ran their stuff. They executed their stuff. They did what they did where other people weren't playing like that. It didn't matter. This is who we are. And when I see teams do that, uh, I can usually watch a team play for about five minutes in a game and know if there's a system and that what uh, you can see that, okay these guys get it. They're executing it. They know who they are. They know their roles. All of those things are in place. You can watch a team play pretty quickly and understand kind of where that team's at, uh, you know, what, what they're, mantra is and the chemistry of that team and the execution, all of those things are reflection on coaches.
2: Also too, uh Cleve, you had an opportunity to compete against Eddie Sutton and one of the greatest games that BYU's ever played was at the where the Jazz play, it was the Delta Center then I think, and he brought yep. in Oklahoma State and I mean it's eighteen thousand people, the place was rocking. He passes. He's also going all into the Hall of Fame. How
1: about some interaction with him? You know what? I I did have a few opportunities to to talk to coach and 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 that on that particular experience as well. And again, uh, much like the, you know the Jerry situation, these are guys that have seen it all and done it all. And uh, you know it was fun to to just just to interact a little bit, and then, and then to see these coaches in the summer. And that was a big win for us. And that's kind of when, I think it's when we started this. Uh, just having a, you know, an independent game at, at, at the arena. And, uh, it, it, it was, it was a game that came right down to the wire and, and got us into the NC two tournament. They ended up being a final four team. And, uh, so I, I do remember, and I do remember how gracious coach was with me and uh, how kind he was. Um, we had actually had a former player, Daniel Bobbick, who was playing for him. And, and I love Daniel. And, uh, and he he ended up transferring, and he ended up ended up there playing with him and so uh you know coach coach was so good you know one of the, you know it's like the, the you know the elephant in the room you know it was one of those things you know he said listen, you know he talked we talked a little bit about Daniel and it's hard when kids transfer and whatever the circumstances were, he just made you feel completely at ease and uh and and I you know we I've talked about that. I, I you know, I've, I've had some experiences with some of those coaches over the years when I was a younger coach, and in almost every situation and circumstance, they they would genuinely ask you, "How are you doing? What's what's the hardest thing going for you? Well, how, what can I help you with?" You know, when they didn't have to do that, not everybody did that, but the Hall of Fame guys always did that. You know, and uh, I remember being on planes and and sitting near coaches and. You know, they were just so genuine and authentic. And Eddie was the same thing. And Eddie, you know, his life wasn't perfect. It wasn't easy for him. But, he, again, just resilient. Just resilient. And when you start listening to the players, and that, that's, that's the hotel test here. You know, I mean, I, I'm I, on social media and I follow different people. And it, it just makes your heart feel good when you listen to the players talk about how much love and respect they had for coach and doesn't you know coaches aren't perfect we make mistakes we do things that we probably wish we hadn't sometimes but at the end of the day you got to look at the whole body of work nobody's perfect when you look at the whole body of work Eddie Sutton did a lot of good influenced a lot of people coach influenced a lot of people and you know as a player in Chicago and as a coach for many years so uh, we have to be careful about putting people on pedestals and thinking that they're perfect and this and that. I think realistically we need to look at people at who they are and their whole body of work, not on maybe one or two mistakes they made. And these are two men that did way, 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 way more good than maybe a couple of little mistakes here and there that they made. And they both influenced me, impacted my life as, as many have. And uh, And that's one of the special things about coaching is those relationships with coaches in the summer to sit and, talk to those Hall of Fame guys, and get their perspective on things.
0: Coach, thank you very much, as always. Always a highlight of the week. Hey, thanks, guys. Have a good one. Bye-bye. That's Coach Steve Cleveland with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Joins DJ and PK every single Monday in the 9 o'clock hour. Uh, Coming up next, we will get to the... uh, Slacker headlines, so stay tuned for that. want to remind you about our friends at Action Plumbing, Heating, and Electrical. Spring into action now. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call Action today, 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333 at Action Plumbing. More next, DJ and PK, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.
3: From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network.
0: DJ and PK, Jake Scott in for David James. 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Time for your... Slacker Radio Headlines brought to you by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram in Sandy, 10905 South Auto, Mall Drive. You can also find your deals online, lhmdeals.com. Uh, one thing we talked about in the 7 o'clock hour, PK, was the return of the NBA, the, the idea of having a bubble situation in uh, in Orlando, down there at Disney World, and uh, what Form that that would take and and the players' thoughts on it. Damian Lillard, and this just came out about a half hour ago, uh, has some thoughts, PK, and I'm I'm curious to get your reaction because I bet more players feel this way. But I'll just read right from the Yahoo uh, report uh that's uh, here's damien he says this quote if we come back and they're like we're adding a few games just to finish the regular season and they're throwing us out there for meaningless games and we don't have a true opportunity to get into the playoffs i'm going to be with my team because i'm part of the team but i'm not going to be participating i'm telling you that i'm telling you that right now and you can put that bleep in there Lillard told Yahoo Sports so he's not real wild about the idea of coming back just to get to that 70 game mark
2: now what's the point of having leverage if you don't use it I mean if Damian Lillard was a guy who was struggling to make the roster he wouldn't be saying that
0: right exactly But he's a
2: star so he's got uh, leverage and he's using it so he's got power so it's easy for him to say that because he's going to be in the league no matter what so he's his stature as a player can allow him to say that and th- th- i don't want to crack too much but these guys make so much money that he doesn't have to go to work he's already got the money he's set he's set financially
0: he never has to work another day in his life
2: yeah, so it's that turns me off, and I know Lillard around here went to Weber, and we're supposed to just heap praise on him because that's what you know TV people—that's what they do to be popular. We love these guys; they're the greatest. But I'm turned off by that statement. I am. Yeah? too. I get am to too. 70 games so you make the money. That's why you're having the freaking sport in the first place—is
0: to make money. Right. And and think about others too, not just uh, like you say, PK, uh, you know, down the totem pole as far as NBA players go. But think of the amount of people who make their living associated with the NBA. We talked about this in the seven o'clock hour. They need to protect every penny they can because there's so much at stake. And Damian Lillard is at the top, and you're right; he's got so much money, he can easily say that. But what about everybody else? I mean, the the health, overall health of the NBA impacts. So many people that I this rubs me the wrong way, too, because, you know, be a team player, man. Do it. If, if you don't do it for, you know, the you know everyday worker or somebody out there selling sponsorships for these teams, do it for uh, do it for your union. Do it for guys that uh, that um, uh, whose salaries are going to be at stake uh, in future years because it's not just now. What do they do with the salary cap? Because that's based on overall revenue. And if you've lost a significant amount of revenue, well, that's going to be made up through player sacrifice at some point or another. And that might not affect you, Damian Lillard, but it's certainly going to affect many, many players other than you. So get on board, bruh.
2: Uh, yeah, if he doesn't want to be on board, I can live with it. But that's his choice. But he's not making that choice if he's just uh, the third, right. the fourth or fifth guard off the bench. I mean, we see this all the time of these guys. I bring up the analogy many times over. Rodman wasn't wearing wedding dresses when he was trying to make the team. Uh, you know, after you make the team... And then he comes, stone right, he was a star, not an overall star, but as far as a defender and a rebounder, you know, teams wanted him, obviously. And so he had some leverage, and he used it, and and good for him. So I, I think, you know, we're, we're, there's so much removed from reality with these guys because they don't have the financial worries. They're not taking pay cuts, yeah. or worse, they're not losing their jobs. And they have this incredible amount of money. And, you know, money isn't everything, But it's about 95 percent of everything.
0: Well, let me let me clear this up because because I think you make it if Damian Lillard didn't want to play because he he didn't feel like he had an environment that was safe from the coronavirus. All right. uh, You know, let's let's have a conversation because those are conversations that, that need to be had. But if you can't play seven basketball games for the greater good of the sport. Come on now. That's something else. Right. So if Damian yeah. Lillard doesn't want to expose himself to the coronavirus, then all right, let's have a conversation. And are those safety standards being met? And can they be met to his satisfaction? I'm more than willing to listen to that. Joe Ingalls uh, right here on this show is, has sh- uh, shown some hesitancy. You guys asked him, I think David asked him, if he was back to working out. And he flatly said no. He's got other things that he's worried about. So if you're worried about exposure to coronavirus, that's one thing. We need to, you know, that's a conversation that needs to be had. People need to be comfortable to to do their jobs. But if you can't play an extra eight games, for the greater good of the sport, I, again, I, I guess I'm repeating myself here, but that, that that doesn't ring true to me. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me.
2: No, I understand your sentiment. You know, that's what I thought about the baseball deal because I think we're going to find this week or very soon, if not this week, then certainly next week, you know, is it a possibility or are they going to squash the whole season? And if you have safety issues, you know, I'm a little more liberal on that stuff. I'm trying to, I'm trying to adhere to – the guidelines, certainly the social distancing, but at the same time, I'm not sitting in my basement underneath my bed all day long.
0: Nobody that's, ever accused you of being ha- liberal before, PK. <laughs> this is weird.
2: Uh that's that's bizarre. <laughs> pe- people assign you political beliefs, and they just—I know I do. And I've always, uh, and I've always objected to that because I don't have any political beliefs. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Just not into that. I'm
0: that's joking, not, but I get yeah. your point. Yeah, yeah, I get your point.
2: Uh, but I'm a little more liberal about going out, and I'm not as worried about it, and uh, my survival rate would be great if I got it. But that doesn't mean I'm flippant about it. But nevertheless, if you're more conservative, and not in your political beliefs, but conservative I use in terms of being more cautious is probably a better word with this stuff, so be it. And if you have a problem with that, that's your call, fine. And if you don't want to do it, don't do it. But... Just to come out and say, I'm not going to be a part of it. And you're you're, you're out of touch, man.
0: Yeah, I think just, so, too.
2: You don't have to worry about the money. So you can say whatever you want, your skill level. You know you're going to be in the league next year. And I, I think that's a sour note. When Lillard has every right to say it. I'll fight for his right to say it. But I just disagree.
0: Yeah, you, you uh, have been one of the only ones to point out the irony or the, the you know when Greg Popovich or Popopovich, as you said or Steve Kerr or LeBron James for that matter make political comments and, and it's they're right as an American don't get me wrong but they're doing that because they can I mean if you yeah. is, is Jim Boylan out there making political statements <laughs> and, and making waves you know uh, no right is, uh, is George Niang who's trying to carve out a, a spot in the league for him you know, I'm sure he's passionate about some political cause or another, but I, I wouldn't know what it is. And you don't either. So I, I I I agree with your point that Damian Lillard is doing this because he can. Right. Yeah, I think you're on the money. And and I don't I mean, that's not I, I, that's his perspective. Sure. But it, it does lack empathy. Right.
2: Uh, in my mind, I would have to sit down and have a conversation with him, which is not going to happen, or I would need to have more of a uh, knowledge of what his greater point is. I don't want to just take a snippet and just run with it and act like, oh, my gosh, Lillard, he just needs to be uh, crucified for saying this because uh, I would need to hear more of what he's trying to say rather than just uh, this as it and that's the full context. I don't know if it's the full context. I would like some follow-up questions Uh, I I don't if somebody has a thought-out opinion I don't like extremes I'm not a big extreme guy I'm more moderate Uh, so I don't like oh if so-and-so gets elected I'm leaving the country because they never leave the country interestingly they always want to go to Canada they never say Mexico Um, but I would want to have an opportunity to think through what that person is saying As long as they're not flying off the handle and being outrageous, uh, then to me, you know, if you're an extremist, I'm probably not going to be interested in what you have to say. But if you bring an opinion that is worthy of discussion, I have no problem with that, and I would prefer to discuss that. So I would like to have more opportunity to see what he's saying. On the surface, I don't like it, but if I listen to him some more, maybe there might be some underlying thoughts there that would cause me to think that would say, yeah, it's okay. On the surface, it seems easy for him to say because he's going to get his money. Well, yeah, so the owners and the league and everybody involved and the TV people and the sponsors and all all the folks that are involved, they deserve their opportunity to get theirs too.
0: Coming up next, texts and tweets and Uh, and open mics guess we haven't had the old text line for a while so tweets and open mics you can try texting us Uh, you can text Hatch you want me to give out your number no let's not do that okay let's not do that alright more next stay tuned DJ and PK Jake in for David James 97.5 and 1280 of The Zone
2: and it's all over almost
1: here don't go nowhere
2: Name is Michael Schmore, and I've had the voice of Jerry Sloan in the back of my head during times of adversity on days where I didn't feel like getting up for work, telling me to keep moving. And I just wanted to thank you for being such a good example of the importance of hard work in this life. God bless.
0: Feedback of the day brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only three fifty nine dollars a month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State Street or Audisaltlakecity.com. Feedback of the day. We were just talking about Damian Lillard's comments. Our friend Justin tweets in. PK says, didn't Lillard add that it's because he wants a shot at the playoffs? If they give eight games, he's saying they don't get a fair shot to get that eight spot. Uh, he did mention that in context of the uh, of the interview. But that doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, he's saying I got to have something to play for. And it's like, why you play in the preseason, you got something to play for to get to 70. That's it.
2: Yeah, that's what I'd say. And I would have to uh, elaborate a little bit more to, to see exactly what he's getting at. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, what do they call that? The, the uh, on the uh, app, that comment about the jerry sloan thing about getting up to work and having that opportunity to know that you need to go to work and i mean and and i see a lot of my father in jerry sloan jerry sloan obviously had a much higher profile nobody wrote, wrote any tributes uh, for my father outside of myself uh, when he passed but you know he worked two jobs literally two jobs my whole life to try to put some uh, food on our table as they say and and you know the necessities of life uh, and that—that's who Jerry was, and that's who my uh, my father was. But but you two do realize today's Tuesday, not Monday, right?
0: Yeah, Hatch. It's Tuesday. <laughs> That's on me. I didn't notice that either until he just set up. said That's that. On me. It feels like a Monday, but you're right; it is. Well, it you is, in said, fact, Tuesday.
2: Jake. You said, or Jake Scott, since I'm dealing with two Jakes. Once I call one, I call Yawk. You said every Monday, and here it is Monday. We're glad to have Steve Cleveland. Oh yeah, I did say Tuesday. that. Tuesday. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Steve comes on Mondays. Oh, yeah, it's true. It
3: is. He's a Monday. It, it's a staple. He's been coming on on Mondays for
0: how many years now? It's it's like I hear Steve Basically, Cleveland. Since he got back
2: from his mission yeah
0: you know i we uh uh we obviously do there's a big company meeting every monday uh it's uh, uh it's called the huddle is they have the the name of the meeting or whatever and uh it's at 9:30 every monday and i know we're not driving in now and they have it online now but that's that's where i steve cleveland is what i listen to when i'm driving down to this company meeting it's just locked <laughs> in my brain and you know what's funny i just this last break went out and asked lloyd if he was on the huddle call like hey and it's tuesday <laughs> jeez now that you point that out pk i've been doing that all day yes you have
2: <laughs> and steve is a pro so he just let it slide and then yag playing monday monday when he should have been playing cat stevens but uh, oops oh yeah, yeah we didn't get
0: our cat stevens today <laughs> jeez fail what are we thinking it's hard to get by just upon a smile so on our uh, our discussion, uh, most people seem to be agreeing with me that uh, the Jazz today would beat the 80s Lakers. <laughs> it is definitely a wild world if you believe that. It's true. Bigger, stronger, <laughs> faster, PK. Can't argue with it.
2: Bigger, yeah, you're right. Uh, Rudy Gobert is so much bigger than uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And let's see... Um, Conley and Mitchell are so much bigger than Scott and Magic uh, and, and Cooper. How are you saying? You remember Magic when he was built like a lineman. Not when he was... He freaking had 42 points, 15 boards, and 7 assists when he was 20 freaking years old in the NBA Finals clinching game. Are you kidding me? That's the greatest game of all time by an
0: individual. Oh, jeez.
2: Holy freak. Jeez. What are you- Thank
0: you. Your hero <laughs> worship of Magic Johnson and the LA Lakers is is nauseating, but
2: like forty two fifteen and seven, you're telling me Mitchell could do that? You're telling me anybody today? Now LeBron can do that, obviously, yes, but he's one person. You think Anthony Davis could do that? How would Anthony Davis yes, do? do? Because he's that. never even become he's never come close to a conference final, let alone an NBA final. And that was without Abdul Jabbar. So don't tell me, well, Magic had Kareem, the all-time leading scorer. No, not in that game. I think he had Jim Jones and Norman Nixon. They <laughs> had yeah, uh, Jamal Wilkes, too, who was very good. They yeah, had
0: Russell Westbrook averaged a triple-double for a season. Magic couldn't do that. Don't give me stats, PK. It's Follow not...
2: the logic yeah, but... here.
0: Follow this is... the logic.
2: Exactly, and the stat in this one was the first of five NBA championships. That's the stat I'm giving you. And Anthony Davis, oh, my god. Gosh, he wouldn't even know what to do in the second round, let alone the finals, because he's never been there before. Except he'd be. Maybe LeBron can pull him across the finish line now. I wouldn't be surprised. But Anthony
0: Davis, except he'd be out. running rough shot over those guys because he's a better
2: athlete. He's a bet great. Let him look at- good. So was Bruce Jenner. And then let him, let her enter the, the 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 let him enter the decathlon if we're we're interested. I'm interested in winning, my friend. At, winning better is athleticism what matters, not at- leads to winning. Better athleticism. So then just get the best athletes. Go get the guys. Just don't don't have a practice. Just have a combine. Just go through. I mean, look at Tom Brady. What a hell of an athlete he is,
0: man. Oh, my gosh. It's not he just all blazes one, down the line. It's not all one way or the <laughs> other, but you know what I'm saying.
2: I mean, the athletic ability that Tom
0: Brady has is off the charts. <laughs> his ability to throw the football is. His accuracy throwing winning. the football. That's athleticism. Oh, but when
2: Magic makes the pass on a dead sprint, that's not athleticism. No, because
0: he's nice. six inches taller than the guy Gardner. <laughs>
2: oh, but I thought they were bigger, stronger, faster. Exactly. Now, that's now proving he's too my point. tall back then. If
0: you're bigger than your opponent, it plays to your advantage. Fact. Then Chuck Nevitt should, but Sean Bradley should be in the
2: Hall of Fame then. If that's, if height is where it's at, it's then not just my hype. gosh.
0: You want to boil it down to <laughs> height? <laughs> <laughs> come on, George Mirasan. Come on. You keep moving the
2: goalposts. I hope DJ's out tomorrow so we can continue <laughs> this and I could beat you
0: to a pulp tomorrow also. Hey, buddy, I, I did have fun today. Uh, all good. Uh, Hanson Scottie, you're coming out next, but thanks for letting me fill in. I had a lot of fun. Me too. All right. Good. That's a good note. That's a good place to leave it. Uh, enjoy your day, buddy. DJ and PK will be back tomorrow, of course, 6 to 10, Monday through Friday. Uh, I'll be back on the big show today with Gordon Monson coming up at 2 o'clock. Hanson Scotty, are next 97.5 and 1280 of the zone.